0: Hello, and welcome to the Nonfiction Authors Podcast. Today's session is with George Passaway to talk about independent publishing and academia. I'm Carla King, your host, and I'm happy to have you with us today. George Passaway is an educator, entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. Professionally, George is a sociology and career development professor at Bryant and Stratton College in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. As an author, George has published four books, two are children's books, titled Layla's World and One Day I Will Become an Alpha. His other two books are his best-selling book, How Black College Students Learn Code Switching, which went into volume two in March of 2022. As an entrepreneur, George is the founder of Educare Publications, a book publishing company that integrates publishing inside the classroom and workplace setting to diversify classroom libraries, provide financial support, and to help change the world and make it a place where every child sees themselves in a book and diversify the publishing industry. Hi, George. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Carla. Thanks for having me.
0: So glad to have you here. Um, I think it's fair to say you have got a mission. Could you just quickly, before we start with the publishing stuff, describe that mission, the concept of code switching, and then we'll dive into how you created an independent press and your speaking tour and marketing and all that juicy publishing author stuff.
1: Yeah. So I'm definitely on a mission, and my mission right now is to share um, with Uh, The the nation, as far as higher education institutions, on this concept of code switching. Um, So what code switching is, is the practice of, one, adjusting their style of speech, appearance, behavior, or expression to a particular context or situation. Code switching is something that we all do naturally as human beings, Um, how we navigate informal and formal settings. Just um, consider the way that you communicate, express yourself um, when you're around family and friends. You know, more than likely, make communicate more. You know, casually may use some jargon, or some profanity, or education B. And in contrast, compare how you carry yourself, express yourself when you're around um, in the professional setting, or at work, or around your boss, or at a fancy restaurant. Right? That style of speech, appearance, and behavior will transition to that that formal one. So that's essentially what code switching is. And the work that I do um, is more diversity, equity, and inclusion focused because um, I did a research study back in 2015 on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. And this um, research was through the Ronald E. McNair Scholars Program. My research was an institutional review board approved the research. So um, I did a research in 2015 and... Um, at the time, I chose code switching because I noticed myself code switching on campus. I noticed myself changing the way that I dressed and my attire, you know, when I got around certain um, faculty, certain staff, and, you know, certain of my uh, peers. So I was interested to see how were my fellow uh, students of color experiencing code switching were some challenges that they were having. And so much more in navigating, you know, this predominantly, you know, white space, what was going on. And so uh, that really sparked my interest in doing this research on code switching So while doing the research and um, before I got to research, while um, researching what others researchers have did on this, on this uh, concept, I recognized that there was a gap within the scientific literature. A lot of people talked about what code switching is, gender differences in code switching and so much more but no one actually talked about how is this thing actually learned? So once I identified that gap, I decided to address it with my research study. And so the research that I did um, was on how um, black college students learn to code switch And through that, I found that code switching is learned through three main ways that anyone can actually learn this concept is one, first learn through instruction. So this happened at a very younger age, either taught by their parent in the garden, how to navigate certain spaces, um, the second is um, co-switching is learn to observation. So actually observing this either um, social group that you wanna pretty much co-switch to or interact with. You observe, you take mental notes on you know, how they interact, how they communicate, how they dress, and then you go ahead and implement that. And at least in my third step is co-switching is learn to interaction. So actually interacting with someone, seeing what is understood, seeing what is not, and just pretty much making adjustments. Um, so that's the pretty much um, where this, you know, inspiration came about. And right now, full time, um, I'm an entrepreneur, and I facilitate diversity, equity, inclusion training to uh, colleges, and universities nationwide. And um, with my book, "How Black College Students Learn Code Switching," so it was a book. Um, the title came about, um, of course, my research participants were um, black college students. Um, So I use that data to make a more general scope of how code switching is learned. uh, And I go through more talking about the adverse effects of code switching um, and so much more. And lastly, when it comes to code switching, where my work is really DI focused is that first we learn that code switch is a natural natural thing. It's a human thing. Um, Through my research, I learned that there's an extra layer of burden placed on people of color to code switch. Um, co-switching seems like a requirement for them, you know, because most times their expression, you know, their hair, their dress aren't accepted in certain spaces that really conduces to their success and to like avoid like negative stereotypes or negative perceptions or whatnot. They, people of color are code switching Um, and, and with my second edition of this book, it gets more deeper uh, it gets to the point where we're like, okay, people of color recognizing they know how to code switch, but they come to find out that code switching isn't enough to overcome racism. They're code switching, but they're still experiencing this racism. It's like, okay, I've changed my style of speech, I've changed my style of attire, how I dress. I pretty, I probably straightened my hair, you know, did all these things to, you know, to be more palatable for someone, but it still isn't enough. To overcome this, and so this is where on work gets more di focused. We're like, okay, listen, people are code switching, but it isn't enough, and you know, and and I share strategies on what institutions can do to foster really um, safe, inclusive spaces where they are encouraging and supporting both their staff and students to show up as their true, authentic self, because there's importance in being authentic in who you are, and it, it there's levels to um, correlation to you know having higher more work morale being more invested in what you do and feeling like you belong and included so that's pretty much the work that I do there in a the spoonful
0: oh that was that's great um wow so many questions come up for me i want to get to um a few questions about creating the independent press but first of all i mean that's sort of the beauty of being your own publisher, isn't it? You can just say, okay, I want a second edition. I've learned more, especially when you're an academic and you're doing formal research and all that. I mean, when when did you decide to create a second edition of the book or did you always know you were going to be? And do you, do you see a third and fourth and fifth one coming in the future?
1: Yeah, that's an awesome question. So for me, the second of- edition idea came um, within my second year of uh, the launch of this book. So it was 2021. I launched the first edition in 2020. And um, 2021, um, as I've been traveling, I've been getting a lot of like feedback and people want to learn more about this concept. And and uh, that led me to uh, publish the second edition. Um, and so right now this book it's been utilized at 34 different um, higher education institutions nationwide, and I'm so proud that it's literally at every, it's in every single region of the United States. Um, some colleges are utilizing this text for the DI work, and once I figure out, once I start seeing how many people are gravitating towards what I'm doing, because um, the work that I'm doing with DI with code switching, you don't see that often at all. Uh, when it comes to DI work, we're talking about like unconscious biases, um, microaggressions, all the other stuff, but no one is, is, a, is a new form of topic that's being shared. And when I've seen a lot of institutions like, hey, you know, how can we book you? How can we get this, this resource rendered to our institution? I'm like, hmm, there's value in this. And how can I make this book even more valuable, um, not just for students, but more for faculty, uh, staff, and students? So that's my inspiration um, behind that. Because the first edition just talked about more of my like my research um, methodology, going through the research, what I found and things of that sort. And then the second edition gets way more DI focused on where uh, in, the, in the institution space. And I'm sharing these practices on how they can foster these, these uh, spaces for both their staff and students of color.
0: Well, it sounds like the book is very successful. Um... I'm wondering why academic press wouldn't pick it up or did you even approach an academic press? Was it your plan to create your own publishing company all along?
1: Yeah. So for um, me not going the traditional route and finding academic press, I didn't want to uh, for several reasons. One, I wanted this to be um, in my hands as soon as possible. Um, uh, so that was the one reason. And one, I, I knew exactly um my target audience. I knew that my target audience would have been higher education institutions. Um, that was the second reason. So I knew exactly who to target and how to target. Um, and then the third reason was that I wanted to maximize a hundred percent of the profits. Right. So I'm like the self pubs route is the way to go where I can achieve all those three things at once.
0: Hmm. So what surprised you about, or did anything surprise you about creating an independent press
1: so some surprises and challenges, I would say creating my own publishing company. Um, nothing really surprised me because I leveraged um, knowledge and information. What I mean by that is I reached out to other publishing companies and presses and asked like, and some of them were open to share like how the operation were. And it was open to share like um, how their their journey was from starting this thing and building it up um, so I had um, some, I would say, mentors who were already in this field. So I was just leveraging their their knowledge, leveraging their information, leveraging their expertise and years in this. And um, they were so awesome. Whatever questions I had, I just asked them about it. And then they were really open to to sharing it, really giving me the blueprint for it. Um, but some challenges that I pretty much found or surprises, um, I would say, um, you know, as with the company right now, with Educare, the whole purpose of Educare—why I founded Educare—was one. It's a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to bridge the diversity gap within the self-publishing industry. Um, and two, I wanted to this platform to be a platform to introduce young um, aspiring authors to the whole publishing realm. Um, so with Educare, we um, implement our services into classroom and workplace settings. So what this look like is. We are targeting high school and college students and also um, working professionals. We're coming in and and teaching them how to how to write and publish a book. So it's a 13, um, a 15 week um, course or program um, where um, by the end of this, by the end of the program, these students and these professionals will have their short story book in their hands by that 15 week. Um, And the program is called um, Educare. Uh, the creative writing publishing program as well.
0: I want to talk about the marketing a little bit because I know academics, um, I know some academic author and academic presses and marketing a book is pretty tough. Um, So did you create a marketing plan? I know your, your book is in how many different academic institutions it's offered in the bookstore?
1: Uh, It's at 34 different um, institutions and um, it's not in the bookstores. Um, it's more in whatever departments need that or requested my services or the book for their program.
0: So, how did you reach out to them? Was it cold calls or did you already have a network?
1: Yeah. So my whole marketing plan with this. So I knew this book. I knew the exact the target audience will be higher education institutions, and my marketing plan was really is um, really aggressive. Um, so it took on me. First, I did a, um, a statewide search. So I started statewide. I started with, um, I live in Wisconsin. I started um, looking at all institutions in Wisconsin. And then, um, then I had to find which department I believe my text could be of value to. So I went through and um, pretty much listed all the departments. One of the departments are uh, diversity, equity inclusion departments, multicultural departments, sociology departments communication departments right and um, and first first and second year experiences and the, and the sixth one was residential life so it's six departments that I reach out to every single college that I'm doing my outreach and what this looks like is through emails so I find the the contact person email or contact number um, so shoot an email and then after the email, Uh, let's say a week or two go by, then I follow up with a a phone call. So that's really been my marketing approach to getting my books in these institutions. um, hands in the hands of students and staff is through email, phone call and outreach. And I, again, I go by statewide and then I'm now branching out from the Midwest and East coast, West coast and all that fun stuff. So Mm -hmm. that pretty much my, my marketing is I'm, I am a marketing team. So I've done all this on on my own um without any um you know marketing experts or anything like that, but right now we're at the coast which we're going to expand, and we're gonna hire some some marketing team come in now to really get this book even even further
0: mm-hmm. that that is a lot of work, and I think a lot of authors, especially when you're you know You've written something that you want to, you, that's your passion project, and that's taken up all your energy, and now you've got to market it. And then, and also maybe you have to start your own publishing company. That's a lot. What, what are the trade offs? Is this cutting into your writing time? Or, I mean, your, your goals might, your goals are much, very much entrepreneurial, it seems like, an academic. Or are you looking toward writing more? What is, what is the balance there?
1: Yeah. So, um, so for me, I'm more on the entrepreneur side of things. Um, in of my, my authorship work, um, I found a deep passion for children's book. Um, so that's why I'm going to continue to be writing. And for this nonfiction text, um, it, it was like, a I won't say a one-time thing done, but it was this research that I did that I expanded from the research. Um, but right now, it's, it's really just more tapping in. Um, now, this book and um, the publishing platform all now is like under the umbrella of this entrepreneur scape. So like the book selling, um, the publishing company, not all under my entrepreneur experiences as well. So really much tapping to both.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have a big travel schedule. You're actually traveling to different uh, universities in the U.S.? Or are
1: you yes. up through Zoom? Yeah. So, um, yeah, my schedule is really, really <laughs> busy. Um, uh, most recently, I was um, out in Washington uh, two weeks ago. I facilitated a training out there, and before that, I was in New Jersey. But coming up, uh, I have some works with um in Michigan at Michigan Tech University and um, Jackson State in Mississippi. Those are the all, um, the two engagements I have. Coming up for this October,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah. And busy, busy, and busy, and on the road, which is kind of new after the whole you know pandemic shutdown and all that. Must be nice. Oh yeah. hmm Um. So Educare, it sounds like you have a, a growing company here with a with a mission. Are Are you looking for other authors, or is it a company that invites? People and to learn, or you're becoming a a, a learning center.
1: For me, it's it's all the above. So it's um, educator is a is a it's a platform for my books. It's a platform where we're educating um, other aspiring authors on uh, how to write and publish their book. We have um, a program called uh, the Self Publishing Academy um, where we're taking uh, you know whoever interested, who are going to turn their publishing dreams into reality, how teaching them how to write. The, the process of it, and the process of how to self-publish. Um, and this is through both. We have two e-courses. Um, one is how to write you know, a traditional book, um, nonfiction book. And then the other one is how to write a children's book. Um, and we do this, again, through our e-courses um, called the Self-Publishing Academy. And we're also inviting and welcoming other um, published authors to use our platform as Like an additional online bookstore for them, um, where um, where they can where you know people can come purchase their books and we can uh, distribute it as well. So we also have our distribution services as well with Educare. Um, But the biggest thing of Educare, again, as I mentioned, is we're here to serve. Um, We're here on a mission, and the mission is to diversify the publishing industry. And by diversify, I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about gender, ethnicity, disability, um, religion, all you can think about, right? I want this to be a really diverse platform where um, it consists of nothing but diverse authors in those realms I just mentioned. But also, we're giving back. We're giving back in many ways. We have the um, Elevate Diverse Voices Scholarship and grant, so what this looks like, we have um, programs where we offer scholarships to college students who are, um, who are aspiring to be um, authors one day. And um, for the scholarship is a essay form. Um, we have a, a essay question and whoever interested, college students interested, they will just, you know, write this essay, submit it with the application and uh, this year's or last semester theme was, why is it important to feel seen when writing? All right, so it's an essay-themed um, scholarship. And then also we au- we offer grants to um, self-publishing authors. So this, uh, this grant, uh, it can be used for whatever um, publishers need, whether it's books, whether it's for um, marketing, you know, what have you. But it's really to help, because we know how it is, self-publishing a book It's expensive, it's expensive, but with the self-publishing, you do, as you know, you do all the heavy lifting. So we recognize that it comes with some expenses and we're here to provide that financial need as well. Our next program is we do, um, it's called Educare Publications in the Classroom. So this is a a program initiative where we are uh, diversifying classroom libraries. So we donate books to um, low-income and rural schools across the nation. Um, Last year, we donated 300 books, and this year we have a goal of 1,000 books to donate. Um, So what this looks like is like we um, go to um, people who are donating books, and our goal is to find books written by diverse authors. And again, diverse authors, for me, uh, people of color, uh, women, you name it, different religion, whatever it is, it's important for children to see themselves in books. And so that's one of the other programs that we offer. But then the last program we offer is the Creative Writing Publishing Program. And that's where we're uh, integrating our services into classroom and workplace settings. But overall, that's pretty much um, the model of Educare, our mission, our goal, and who we are looking to attract.
0: Are you doing all this all by yourself? You must have some help. <laughs>
1: I am a one-man team right now. Are
0: you? Wow!
1: So I'm doing this all, all by myself, um, and this is why I do you know entrepreneur full-time, so I can give both uh, my speaking engagement business and Educare the proper attention, focus, and care it needs to take it to the next level. But it's just me doing all this um, right now. For Educare, one of our goals is we're we're hiring um, people on. We're looking for um, and. Um, and editorial staff. We're looking for some illustrators. Um, and looking for some book sale associates. So hmm. the goal is to expand and grow our team as the years come.
0: Well, it sounds like you need help soon because it's 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 beautiful. I'm looking at the website. Can you tell us uh, where to find the website and your books and and where are you on social media as well?
1: So for EduCare, you can you can find us at EduCarePublications.com. So that's E D U. C A R E P U B L I C A T I O N S dot com. Um, the book, uh, all my books are there as well. Um, I have uh, um, two college fundraiser books. So I'm going to explain a little bit what these books are about. So I have two daughters. Um, the oldest is about to turn three next month, and the youngest just turned one like last week. And uh, I thought it was so cool for their first birthday. I'm like, how can I make their first birthday so special, so unique? And it hit me, create, uh, first write a book for them. But on the birthday, instead of having like a standard birthday party, it's going to be a book signing event for them. And all the proceeds goes towards their college um, fund. So on there, you can find the um, the two um, college fundraisers. Please, please support that. Um, And the books can be found on that website as well. You can also find us on social media, um, both Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at EduCare Publications.
0: And what do you, are you more on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? Which one are you? I'm on?
1: More, on, um, Instagram. Instagram, more on Instagram. Instagram. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I'm looking at these books. And when I saw these before we talked, I was like, oh, my gosh, what a great idea to write a book to, for your kids and use it for their college fund. It's just brilliant. You're giving a million people ideas now. But I know you said that you really have a passion for writing children's books. Are, are you going to write? You're going to write more, right?
1: Yeah. So um, I have recently published one, uh, another one. What was that? May of 2022. Mm-hmm. So this year, mm-hmm. and it's called One Day I Will Become an Alpha. It's on my website as well. So this book um, is the first children's book about my fraternity. I'm part of uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, again, knowing when you're writing a book, you need to know the target audience, who it is. And I'm tapping into my fraternity. And um, it's, this book is really, you know, I was kind of afraid that this book is going to outshine how black college students long code switching which is kind of doing that with like the book sales and exceeding what the co did. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's my third children's books. Out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oops. So yeah. So that's, that's my third one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And definitely well, publish more.
0: Yeah. Right. More, publish more and get more help. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be looking at your platform with interest for the years to come. And I'm glad I, I caught you now so we could learn about it early. Is there any last advice or inspiration that you want to share with aspiring academic authors, publishers, independent presses?
1: Yeah, especially for aspiring authors in academia. um, I would say that to consider the self-publishing route, it is so much easier um, to get your work in your hands. Of course, there's some pros and cons for both um, traditional and self-publishing, But those in academia, you can literally use this book. Let's say whatever, you know, if whatever you're teaching, there's no core content on that particular subject, you can be the one to contribute it and you can use it in your classroom with your students. It's super, super awesome. Um, And my last advice before I get out of here um, is when it comes to people, you know, want to jump into this entrepreneur, this authorship space is to chase problems, not money right? Especially being a, a book author, the average book sells about 100 copies, right? Which is pretty super low and sad to me. But knowing that, makes make sure you get it into this space to solve problems. Solving problems look like finding limitations, finding gaps within whatever space it is that you're writing about. Find that problem, present a solution to it. And that's how you make your piece, your work stand out than any other publication out there.
0: Great advice, George. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Awesome, Carla. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you to our listeners for joining us for the weekly Nonfiction Authors Podcast. Find out where to subscribe at nonfictionauthorsassociation.com forward slash podcast. You'll also find a feedback link and we'd love your suggestions and ideas for topics and other guests. And don't forget to get on our mailing list for notifications about the podcast, as well as helpful webinars, courses, and other events that help you write, publish, promote, and profit from your nonfiction books. And finally, keep writing to share your expertise and experience. Thank you.